Welcome to the Building the Elite Podcast, where we discuss the physical, mental, and emotional aspects of human performance within military special operations by looking at the principles that can help anyone thrive in chaotic and challenging environments. This is Craig from Building the Elite. Today we're going to talk about motivation, where it comes from, how to maintain it, and what you can do to replenish it when you feel like your motivation is flagging. Our goal here is to provide the tools you need to give phrases like motivation and just don't quit a useful sense of personal meaning. Everyone wants to know the secret to motivation. Like most topics, being or staying motivated isn't as simple as repeating cliches like just don't quit or stay hard. These sayings can be useful as simple reminders of more complex concepts, but only if you understand the underlying process and skills that lead to those outcomes. Without those underlying processes and skills, phrases like just don't quit are no more helpful than a track coach yelling at his athletes to just run faster. Everybody at a track meet wants to be a fast runner, just like everyone who shows up at a soft selection event wants to not quit. But there's only one winner in the race, and only a few make it through soft selection. The distinction lies in who is able to produce these outcomes when they matter, not in the ability to describe them. Our personal experiences create the meaning that we attribute to words and concepts. Everyone can say the same words, but the meaning that those words have is unique to each person. In other words, All knowledge is local knowledge. When a special operator says quitting isn't an option, that means something to them because it's based on real-life experience. They can distill a complex set of capabilities into a simple statement without losing its meaning. It's that simple for them because they know how to not quit. They've earned the right to make that statement and mean it. But, Those words are meaningless to the person hearing that statement without the same type of experiences and underlying skills. You can't have a conversation about motivation without talking about dopamine. Over the last few years, there have been considerable advances in dopamine-related research. The findings help explain what we know about other topics like willpower, motivation, growth mindset, hardiness, and others covered in our book, website, and social media channels. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter, which is a type of signaling hormone that is best thought of as the molecule of anticipation and motivation. When you anticipate that you can get something that you value, like eating a delicious bowl of ice cream at the end of a long day, you have a surge in dopamine. This surge is what motivates you to go to the store and get the ice cream. You don't get the push of dopamine when you get the ice cream, but when you anticipate that you'll get it. So the reward is the expectation that you're on track towards something that you value. The higher the dopamine release, the longer you'll sustain motivation to continue doing whatever needs to be done to get the thing that you desire. Dopamine's role in motivation isn't always that simple. If you went to the store, but all the ice cream was gone, you'd experience a huge drop in dopamine levels that would lead to feeling unmotivated and resentful. 
this anticipation reward relationship is called the reward prediction error. And it explains several things. First, this is why pleasant surprises feel so good. When you don't expect something good to happen, and it does, you get a huge bump in dopamine. And the more valuable you perceive the unexpected reward to be, the bigger the surge. It also explains why gambling is so addictive. If you randomly win every once in a while, the dopamine surge you get carries you through the losses and motivates you to keep working towards that big win you think is just around the corner. Casinos have this down to a science. Slot machines let you win and hear others winning with loud noises to announce the lucky fool, often enough to stay motivated, but not so often that you leave with more money than you actually started with. The second thing that reward prediction error explains is why it feels so awful when you expect something good to happen, but it doesn't. This is why the cadre at soft selection tells you to do something, and as soon as you're about to finish and expect the event to be over, they prolong the event or tell you to just start over. If you're not skilled at managing your mental game, you'll have a huge drop in dopamine, your motivation will drop, and you'll find a reason to quit. This doesn't have to happen. There are methods to control your response through active coping mechanisms and mindsets to mitigate this response. Dopamine has two different circuits that motivate different types of behaviors. The desire-based dopamine circuits push you to seek out that bowl of ice cream, find sexual partners, and buy that shiny new gadget that's going to change your life. In other words, the desire circuit amplifies emotional signals. This motivates you to accomplish short-term goals that satisfy an immediate desire, but might not align with your long-term goals. Control-based dopamine circuits activate the logical parts of the brain and help you create and take actions to achieve long-term goals. These two circuits oppose each other, kind of like a car's gas and brake pedal. Both are important, but having the right balance between them at the right time is what leads to high levels of performance. Let's take a closer look at the control dopamine circuit. It helps you shift your attention beyond your immediate needs like acquiring food, water, and shelter. It activates the logical parts of the brain that create plans and strategies for long-term goals. It motivates you to take action toward those goals even if they don't immediately lead to rewards. And it turns down the volume of your emotional responses. When pursuing any difficult goal you'll need a well-tuned, control-based dopamine response to stay on track with the ups and downs. In normal life, you can look at your watch to see how much further you have to run or compare your pace to a previous workout. But all of that will disappear in soft selection. Unpredictable and unexpected obstacles and zero positive feedback are the norm. In other words, all the external feedback mechanisms present in normal life and training environments go away. If you require these external feedback mechanisms for motivation, you'll probably go away too. The control dopamine circuit is what helps you build robust internal feedback mechanisms that are self-reinforcing. It also enables you to buffer normal feedback mechanisms from pain, fatigue, and setbacks that are inescapable features of soft selection. When you perceive that you're on track towards your goal, 
you get little pulses of dopamine to keep you motivated and moving forward. This is why a process-oriented approach, which is an aspect of a growth mindset, is such a powerful approach to overcoming challenges. When you are focused on the process, you feel like you're winning or being successful by continuing toward your goal. The outcome matters, of course, but it's not the only indicator of success. This approach creates a feedback loop in which taking action feels good because the action is part of the bigger goal. This allows you to adjust your approach instead of quitting when you face setbacks. If you're only focused on the outcome, like winning or finishing an event in selection, you're susceptible to reward prediction error and its corresponding drop in motivation. If your motivation depends on an external event, like a calisthenics beatdown ending when you think it should, then your motivation can be taken away from you. There are two types of motivation. Intrinsic motivation is where you're motivated for the sake of an experience or the internal sensations that will accompany an activity. This could be things like running because you love the feeling of running, or learning a new skill because you are curious and enjoy the process. Another form of intrinsic motivation is when you're driven by your personal ethics or beliefs. Research has shown that intrinsic motivation is stronger and will persist longer in the face of challenges. Extrinsic motivation is when you're motivated by external rewards such as prestige, money, status, validation, or praise. These are not as powerful as intrinsic motivators. This doesn't mean that all external rewards or motivations are useless. However, they should be secondary to a more intrinsic motivational source. Intrinsic motivations are process-oriented, which helps you to activate control-based dopamine circuits. This means that performing the task and what it represents, like a belief or an ethic, is enough to keep you motivated. When combined with other mental skills, you'll have the tools necessary to work through setbacks. Dopamine gets you going, but how much effort you put into something depends on how valuable you perceive the outcome to be. Having a personally salient goal, like fulfilling your potential or serving others, leads to a stronger effort. And when confronted with challenges, you'll be able to keep going because the goal is far more important than any temporary pain you might feel. I have an example of this from my own journey through soft selection. We have an article about this full story on our site called A Pair of Boots. But the short version of it is that when I hit low points during selection, the thing that kept me going was a mental image of this big pair of snow boots that my dad used to wear to walk to work in the winter so that he could leave our car for me and my siblings to take to school. As I wrote in that article, to me, those boots represented the sum of so many sacrifices my family made for me so that I could be comfortable and eventually successful. It was one more little thing that my dad gave up daily for the sake of me and my brothers and sister. With that image in my mind, I absolutely could not accept the idea of calling my dad one day to tell him that I was done, that I had quit, that after 18 years of trying to give me every advantage he could so that I could make something of myself, I failed because I made a decision to stop trying. That the water was too cold, the swim was too far, or I didn't want to do any more push-ups. I would have rather died than make that phone call. 
And in my lowest moments, I saw those boots by the door every day, and I'd make my choice and keep going. If you understand your deepest values and have developed the ability to control your attention during difficult experiences, you'll be able to focus on how the current situation is a necessary part of the process of achieving your goal. Using attention to manage sensations of pain and fatigue is especially important. The more fatigue or pain you subjectively experience, the less motivated you'll feel. The common and outdated view of pain and fatigue is through what is called a Cartesian model. This centuries-old concept views mind and body as separate entities and sees fatigue as a direct linear process, sort of like a gas gauge telling you how much fuel you have left in the tank. Pain is typically thought of the same way. The amount of pain you feel is directly associated with the amount of physical damage occurring. Neither model is accurate. Perception, experience, and prediction affect how hard or how painful we feel something is. Pain, fatigue, and our sense of effort aren't just measuring how much gas we have in the tank. It's a complex, emergent phenomenon. We can know and influence many of the pieces that drive it. By directing your attention away from internal sensations of pain and fatigue, managing your beliefs and self-talk, and using other mental skills, you can alter how much pain and fatigue you feel regardless of what your body is experiencing. That isn't to say that you can think your way out of feeling all pain and fatigue, but managing those sensations effectively goes a long way towards sustaining your motivation to continue during the most grueling experiences. Unsurprisingly, the research on what people think of as willpower aligns with recent insights on the role of dopamine. Ego depletion is the idea that willpower is a finite resource. For instance, if you spend a lot of willpower on one thing, it will be harder to muster even more willpower later for something else. And it's an appealing idea. It also provides a rationale for all sorts of behaviors that aren't in the interest of our long-term goals. The idea of ego depletion often seems valid in research, but only under one condition, that you believe in it. You see, research has also found that when people don't buy into the concept of finite willpower, they aren't affected by it. They can exercise self-discipline in one task and then do it again later without a decrement. The person who doesn't believe that willpower is a finite resource expects to be able to do the right thing so they can. Research also shows that those with higher willpower don't have to use it as much. The belief that they can overcome challenges through self-discipline activates the control-oriented dopamine circuit. This leads to using logical parts of their brain to solve problems and think long-term. Consequently, they tend to create systems, shape their environments, and take other small steps to make it easier to do the right thing. The person who doesn't believe that willpower is a finite resource uses their brain to solve the problem once, which is a form of active coping, instead of accepting that they will inevitably fail, which is a form of passive coping. Shaping your environment leads to the concept we call acting into feeling. By making it hard not to do the right thing, 
you end up taking actions that move you toward your goals even when you're not motivated or you don't feel like it. Those actions lead to feeling on track with your goals, which leads to feeling more motivated. So the action comes first and the feeling follows. Action precedes motivation most of the time. This is why harnessing moments of motivation is important to build skills, shape your environment, and create systems that propagate those actions in the future. Someone who sees willpower as a finite or limited resource thinks of it as a precious commodity, so they only use it for immediately gratifying things, which is a product of the desire-oriented dopamine circuit. They also expect to run out of willpower, so when a desire to quit or do something else comes along, they're less likely to fight it. They think of it as a natural consequence of fading willpower and give in to that impulse. They don't act into feeling. They feel themselves into their next action. And they wait to feel motivated to take action. So when they do, it's toward feeling good in the moment. So they never create a process to keep them going when they don't feel motivated. Like most skills or attitudes, these aren't black and white binary beliefs. You can fall somewhere in the middle of the two extremes. And context also matters. You may display a lot of willpower in one aspect of your life, but not another. The only way to identify your tendencies is to have a process for doing so and adjusting your behaviors and beliefs. No one is a robot with bottomless reserves, but believing that you can develop discipline is the first step toward doing so. When you perceive that you're on track toward your goal, you get little pulses of dopamine to keep you motivated and moving forward. This explains why mental skills like segmenting are so powerful. Breaking down a huge goal into small pieces is an effective way to create little wins along the way. It also explains why compartmentalization is so helpful for rebounding from setbacks. When something doesn't go well, your ability to set it aside and refocus on what you can control helps you control your stress response. It also re-engages the rational decision-making part of your brain which reduces the volume of your emotional response and allows you to find a reason to keep moving forward. These and other mental skills that are covered in our book and taught in our app are important in situations devoid of positive feedback. To not give up, you must regulate your experience and to find wins in a situation that doesn't provide them. You must practice using these skills in increasingly realistic situations, such as open-ended workouts, to implement them reliably. For example, I'm going to read a message that we recently got from a client about using open-ended workouts. This is what he sent. I think the open-ended workouts are helping out. In a sense, I care less about what I have to do, and I just do it. I don't get all pissed off when I have to repeat a task just start doing the additional mile without much thought. Also, I feel like nothing turns out as bad as I thought beforehand. I went into the five-mile run with a crappy warm-up and not a lot of sleep and had some thoughts about how it's going to be painful and it's going to suck. I realized what I was saying in my head and it made me think about how it's just another hard thing that I've done a hundred times. Even though it is somewhat painful and does suck, it's never as bad as I make it seem in my head before actually doing it. Actually, 
it's never even really that hard due to using all the mental skills like segmenting and compartmentalization. And afterwards, within minutes, I'm pretty well recovered and don't feel any different than I did before the task, even with the long, open-ended workout. Listening to this podcast won't magically unlock your power to have unlimited motivation and overcome every obstacle. If you remember from the beginning, we talked about how you only really know something after you've experienced it. Right now, all the concepts you just heard are just words in your head. So now comes the hard part. You have to do the work to turn those words into something you can demonstrate on the worst day of your life. You'll need to step outside your comfort zone and pursue difficult experiences while consciously practicing these concepts. If you do, someday you'll be able to say things like, quitting isn't an option, and know that you mean it. That's it for this episode. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Before we sign off, we're excited to announce that after months of testing, we have finally released BTE goal and career-specific training programs. We have programs for a variety of goals, including soft selection prep, operators, law enforcement, firefighters, and general fitness. These aren't one-size-fits-all templates. Instead, we assess where you're currently at and assign you a program based on your specific strengths and weaknesses. Training plans are adaptable so you can adjust them to your needs and schedule. In addition to training, you get access to daily mental skill lessons to complement your training. You also have access to BTE coaches to ask questions and get feedback when needed. You can find out more or sign up at buildingtheelite.com.